This podcast is brought to you by the Administrative Committee of the Presbyterian Church in America, promoting the unity, purity, and progress of the church. Learn more about the Administrative Committee and support its work by visiting PCAAC.org. Welcome to Gifts and Graces. All Christians have communion in each other's gifts and graces, says the Westminster Confession. So on this podcast, we help you and your church benefit from the gifts and graces of other parts of Christ's body. Each episode, we bring you a seminar, sermon, or discussion from church leaders across the country and around the world designed to promote the unity, purity, and progress of the church. This is Gifts and Graces. On this episode of Gifts and Graces, we get to hear from Dr. Brian Chappell on how to make the most of your time at General Assembly. Dr. Chappell is the stated clerk of the Presbyterian Church in America. This episode was originally recorded as a seminar delivered at the 2023 General Assembly, and is sponsored by PNR Publishing. Let's listen as Dr. Chappell introduces us to General Assembly. Uh, you are in uh, what is either officially or unofficially known as the Rookie Seminar, which means uh, you may not have been to a General Assembly before, or this may just be a little bit of a refresher course. And so uh, what I'm about to give you is um, the, I hope, briefest, most schematic look into the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church in America. It's the paraphrase edition, which which means people will know all the exceptions to what I say. I know, you know, I know there are exceptions to it, but I want people just to have a, a general picture of what happens as we act upon scripture and confession in order to practice our obedience to the Great Commission. So how do we, how do we move forward? What do we do in the PCA? So if you will, in this little schematic, and I think we ran out of handouts where some of you will have this in your laps, but all those little dots represent uh, the church of the world, as it were. God's people in all nations, in all churches, those who are his elect called out from all the nations, and those are, that's if you were, the invisible church of Jesus Christ, all the people. But we recognize uh, the church is the church invisible, is gathered into churches particular. And in the PCA, because we're Presbyterian, we say that just as individuals are to be mutually accountable, we hold each other accountable, we think churches are to be held accountable mutually to one another. So we form into regional associations that are called what? They are called presbyteries. And these presbyteries are ways in which we say that just as an individual is not an autonomous Christian, just responsible to himself, so churches are not autonomous, only responsible to themselves. Uh, They are accountable uh, in the Lord's plan to one another uh, in presbyteries, and they gather together. And presbyteries themselves try to do the Great Commission, the work of mission, Uh, not individually also, but through the work of the General Assembly. Now, every church has its own individual mission. 
But we recognize we can do things better together than separately. That's true denominationally, too. We believe we can do things better together than separately. We have some very large churches with some very large uh, mission support benevolences. But for the first time this year, uh, we will report to you that the PCA as a whole had over a billion dollars in contributions. We have no single church that large. Right? Uh, as a result of the benevolences and congregations, we have the single largest Presbyterian mission force in the history of the world. That's over 600 long-term missionaries in the PCA. No matter how large the single church, we don't have a single church that could support that many missionaries long-term. We can do more together than we can do separately. And so we have people, churches, presbyteries, supporting the work of the General Assembly. Now, there is a, a visual intention to the General Assembly being down below the presbyteries and not above them. I think if you're just kind of thinking in human hierarchy, we would say, well, the General Assembly is on top. But there is a principle that we actually believe in the Presbyterian Church in America, and that is that no higher body like the GA has any power except what has been given to it by a lower body, right? Your, your session, your elders, have no power unless the congregation has elected them to have it. We say there's only one true head of the church. Can you guess who that is? Jesus. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's the Sunday school question. You know, I know the answer is Jesus. It sure sounds like a squirrel to me. You know, I know the, I know the joke. But we say there's only one true head of the church. And, and his authority and power is immediately unto the people who gather in the churches, who are accountable in the presbyteries, who do mission through the General Assembly. But we don't invert it the other way. The General Assembly has absolutely no power unless the presbyteries have granted it to them, which, among other things, is why we have overtures to this General Assembly. The overtures will change some of the ways the General Assembly operates or its mission, but where do those overtures come from? They come from the presbyteries. Now, you know, some of you know there are exceptions. There are ways in which it can come from a local church, even an individual. But generally speaking, uh, what the General Assembly does and is commissioned to do is what has been granted to it by the lower bodies, right? It has no power unless it's been granted by the lower bodies. So if you think, what, what does the General Assembly do? The churches and what you do when you come to a General Assembly is among other things, you are seeking to have the General Assembly operate according to our standards. So when you hear that general expression of standards, we can use it colloquially or we can be specific about it. What are the standards of the PCA that we're holding the General Assembly accountable for and it is holding us accountable for? The Bible, the Constitution, and the regular standards. Now, one of the things that may surprise you is the Bible is not part of our Constitution. Do you know why? Because you can't change it. Right? It's the unchangeable. Right? So the Bible is our highest standard, but our, and we are ruled by it. Right? Only infallible rule of faith and practice is the scripture itself. But our Constitution is the Westminster Confession of Faith and the Book of Church Order. And uh, in that order, by the way. So changing the Westminster Confession of Faith 
Since we actually began in 1973, hey, we've not changed. It's very hard to change the confession. Uh, the book of church order, we change every year. <laughs> so, um, you know, we're, we're refining, refining, refining. So, uh, as somebody came to me yesterday, and one who's been coming to the General Assembly for a lot of years, and he says, in 1973, our book of church order was this, and he showed me. It was about a half inch thick. <laughs> he says, now this is our book of church order, and it's about two inches thick. <laughs> so we refine, we refine, we refine. And that's our book of church order, and we can only change it by a fairly complicated process. The only way we can change the book of church order is a majority vote of the General Assembly, and then two-thirds approval of the presbyteries, and we have 88 of them. So are they 88 of these presbyteries, two-thirds of them would have to approve, and then it comes back to the General Assembly one more time, and it has to be a majority vote again. So changing the BCO is kind of tough, which typically means if we do change it, we have large agreement. Right? If it's controversial, it's very hard to change the BCO. That's by design. Right? So just that you, know, you have a majority for a year and people are real animated, probably not sufficient basis for changing the BCO. It's where you have large consensus that's consistent where you end up changing the BCO. Easier things to change are our regular standards. Those are things like the RAO. And you've already determined now you have a new alphabet to learn when you're in the PCA. So what's the RAO? Anybody want to try? What's the RAO? Rules of assembly operation. They are much easier to change. Okay? So it, it, it takes uh, a two-thirds vote, but at a single assembly. So a lot easier to change the RAO. Our bylaws, uh, we don't usually change. That's done by a corporate board. That, and the board members are elected by the PCA. And then there are the charters of some of these individual organizations. But the big pieces of our standards, the Bible, the Constitution, and the regular standards, which include mostly, for most of us, the RAO in terms of what we represent. How do we do the business here? All right. Now, those are the standards. Uh, who are the people who are actually doing the business when you're at the General Assembly? These are the processes, okay? So by what processes do the presbyteries and the General Assembly show our adherence to the standards, okay? So the first thing we have is, I'm just going to do it for fun, okay? CCB, what's the CCB? Anybody want to try? Committee on Constitutional Business, okay? Committee on Constitutional Business. You get an, an overture from a presbytery to the General Assembly. So the overtures come to the General Assembly. We think something needs to change or be improved, and that's a great idea. But uh, that may be a presbytery in central Mississippi. It may be a presbytery in northern Minnesota. And uh, it may be a great idea among that group of men. But uh, there's another group of men who are elected by the General Assembly to serve on the Committee on Constitutional Business. And they say, you know what? Uh, if, if you're dealing with the regular standards or some operation of one of our agencies, that's one level of approval. But if you're trying to change our Constitution, we want some experts to look over what you've got in mind. And so the Committee on Constitutional Business is looking at the overtures if they are trying to affect a constitutional change. Now, they don't rule. 
Okay, they don't say, they don't rule up or down. They advise. Okay, they, they can advise and they say, we, we don't think this is a good idea. We don't think this is constitutional. Who are they advising? They are advising the, anybody know what the OC is? Overtures Committee. So the CCB is advising the Overtures Committee, particularly if it's a matter of constitutionality. Okay, now, that's not the only type of overture that the overtures deal with. But if it is constitutional, the CCB is advising the Overtures Committee. The Overtures Committee, in a sense, is like the Senate of the General Assembly. So if you will, bills come up from the states, presbyteries, then they are considered by the Senate, the Overtures Committee. But here's the difference. If it were the Senate, they could pass a law. The Overtures Committee cannot pass a law. They cannot even approve an overture. They recommend to the General Assembly whether or not it approves the overture. Then it can become a law, okay? Then it can become that which we have agreed to, we will do. But you, you see the process. Presbytery, if we're changing the BCO, Presbytery, Committee on Constitutional Business, is it constitutional or not? Then to the Senate, the Overtures Committee, which sends it to the General Assembly. And only when the General Assembly has said yay or nay does it become what we're operating by. Now, if it's actual change in the BCO, you recognize what? It's one vote, then back to the Presbytery for two-thirds of the Presbytery, then back to the General Assembly again. But not everything is of constitutional basis. Okay, there, there are small, many smaller things. How a committee or agency operates. Um, whether or not we will join another organization, whether or not we should separate from another organization, whether or not we should discipline somebody. So those are other kinds of overtures uh, that may come. Now, one of the things that the presbyteries have done is they have given to the General Assembly the authority to determine if somebody has stepped out of bounds according to our standards. So a church has said, we now believe there's only two members of the Trinity. Who's supposed to deal with that? Well, General Assembly has given authority to the SJC. What's the SJC? Standing Judicial Commission. So it hears discipline cases that have not been resolved at the Presbytery level. So discipline cases typically begin with Matthew 18, I go talk to you. First step, right? And if we can't resolve that, it may be taken to the church. And if the church can't solve it, it goes to the presbytery. And the presbytery can't solve it, it goes to the GA, which delegates it to the SJC. All right. So the SJC handles 30 to 40 cases a year. So it's, you know, it's not a lot. And uh, that's 24 people on the SJC. And uh, usually, our mo you can just imagine, if the individuals can't solve it, and the church can't solve it, and the presbytery can't solve it, these can often be pretty tough issues that come to the SJC. Which means not only are you thankful that you have very able people there, it's often where our greatest controversies are. Right? People say, the SJC's this, the SJC's that. Why? Because it's dealing with the toughest cases. 
And so we had a very tough case uh, two years ago. And if you're in the room, you probably know dealing with a pastor named Greg Johnson. And uh, the, many people off our church, oh, the SJC has gone liberal. They've exonerated him. Uh, this year, another very tough case uh, dealing with a pastor in central Indiana. And uh, the SJC ruled the other way. And a lot of the other people say, oh, the SJC is such a conservative bunch of white men. You know, they can't do it. And, and they're being judged exactly the opposite by the opposite ends of our political spectrum. And the reality is the SJC follows very strict rules of evidence and sworn testimony. And the men there operate with great integrity. Granted, they sometimes like our own Supreme Court. They are elected by their perceived political persuasion. But the men on the SJC operate with great integrity according to our standards and sworn testimony. Translation, not what the internet says. <laughs> sworn testimony with men of integrity, which gets them in a lot of trouble at times, but they, they have done, most of the men on the SJC have been there for many years because they're trusted by the church at large. Not everybody, you know, has been there for many years. There's obviously men grow old and there are transitions. But uh, this, in my mind, this is one of the treasures of uh, the PCA. There was a time we did not have an SJC. And all these discipline cases were handed by the General Assembly on the, we had committees at General Assembly, then reporting, and we tried to do on the floor. Oh, my goodness, you know, uh, not didn't last long that way, but that's the SJC. That is where we're dealing with discipline cases if they come up. Another way that the presbyteries have said, how do we hold each other accountable through the General Assembly is, they send their records to General Assembly every year. And the General Assembly has delegated to the, we could actually say CRPR, the CRPR, dealing with the minutes that come up from the presbyteries of how they have done their business. What's RPR? Review of Presbytery Records. So the Committee on Review of Presbytery Records. And they are the party delegated, the party, the group delegated by the General Assembly to look at the records of the presbyteries. And if they see something that's a, a, a gross violation of our standards and unfairness, just bad procedure that's not following our standards, then they tell the GA, and the GA says, hey, Presbytery, you need to get back to us next year with how you're going to correct what you did. And so the RPR is trying to keep us all on the same page, right? This is what we agreed we stood for. So is your Presbytery doing that? And if they see violations or exceptions, they don't have any power in themselves, absolutely none. But they advise the General Assembly in terms of what it should do. Now, the men who come onto these committees that are delegated by the General Assembly uh, and also those who are heading the committees and agencies. So we said we're not just holding each other doctrinally accountable through the General Assembly. We are doing the mission of the church together through the resources and horses in the same harness pulling together of the General Assembly. Now, how do we do that? How do we pull together? 
we have 10 committees and agencies which are delegated by the General Assembly to do our mission. So how do we pull together in mission? We have committees and agencies. Now again, I'll test your alphabet. Not all of you can see what's on the bottom here, but you may have the sheets in front of you. What's RH? Ridge Haven, that's our camp ministry in North Carolina and Iowa, okay? So the Iowa was a gift, that's why we're in Iowa. <laughs> so uh, Ridge Haven and Iowa. CC is Covenant College, CTS, Covenant Theological Seminary. Uh, actually, GEN would stand for what? Geneva Benefits. Used to be, maybe more expressive, uh, Retirement Benefits and Insurance. So for those who are employees of the church or the denomination, this is the organization that um, handles their retirement and benefits. In recent years, because the PC has grown, uh, we have what's now Geneva Benefits renamed because it's not just handling the PCA anymore. It's handling actually three denominations at this point. Retirement, and it's seeking more, by the way, because those of you who are financial know you've got greater leverage if you've got more funds, more ability. You actually pr protect your people better. So Geneva Benefits is now handling three denominations and not calling itself RBI, but Geneva Benefits. PCAF, PCA Foundation. So people who are involved making major gifts to the denomination or needing help with estate planning, I remember I said over a billion dollars came in this year to the, to the denomination as a whole. Estate planning, and some of you know, as we kind of look at the, the boomers retiring, uh, largest transfer of wealth in the history of the world is happening. We need the PCA Foundation. And if, if you're not really aware of that, uh, a lot of experts there to help you think, how do you plan financially in a way that benefits your family and benefits the mission of the church? So that's a very important thing. Now, I, you see these organizations have different color hats, at least on the board up here. And uh, there's a reason. If they're blue hats here, uh, that means that they are agencies. If they have red hats, they are committees, what we call permanent committees. Here's the difference. An agency has a board. An agency has a board, usually for some legal reason like these academic institutions, like this financial institution. They have a board that has particular responsibilities for overseeing the work of that agency. If it's CDM, what's that? Christian Discipleship Ministries, M&A, Mission North America, MTW, Mission to the World, RUF, Reform Youth Service Fellowship, I'll forget AC for a moment. These are permanent committees. So these have committees that oversee them, and usually not separate 501c3 organizations. Okay? Usually they're not separate corporations. These are separate corporations with their own boards, even though those boards are elected by the General Assembly. So the PCA maintains its oversight of the committees and agencies through the election of people to the boards or to the agencies. The primary responsibility just those of you who are in business, recognize primary responsibility of the board or the permanent committee is the chief executive, hiring and firing of the chief executive officer. Right? Now, that chief executive officer himself has to meet certain qualifications. 
uh, obviously has to be skilled for the job. He also has to agree with our standards. How do we know if the chief executive officer, and we'll even say the second tier of officer in the committees and agencies, how do we know that they hold to our standards? Way back here again. Theological examining committee. So before anybody can be a head executive in one of the committees or agencies, they have to come through the theological examining committee. So even though the boards are elected by the GA, and the boards select the chief executive officer, that chief executive officer and the second tier chief executive officer has to be approved through the General Assembly by the Theological Examining Committee, also delegated by the General Assembly. Um, These 10 committees and agencies, again, all are under the authority of the General Assembly, uh, and there are various ways in which they report, and there are various ways in which their officers are elected to different terms and so forth. Uh, In order to make sure that they're in the same harness pulling together, we have the CMC, that is the Cooperative Ministries Committee. You really don't want the mission organization of the world and the mission organization of the nation going in opposite directions. You want them working in harmony with one another. Um, if, If you have missionaries who are being trained at the seminary, you, you kind of want to be on the same page of what you're doing. So the Cooperative Ministries Committee is for the chief executives of the committees and agencies and the last five moderators of the General Assembly. And they meet together usually twice a year to say, are we still going the same direction? Now, believe it or not, in the PCA, there's sometimes tension between the different officers in the PCA. I know you would be surprised by that. Um, But the Cooperative Ministries Committee is uh, designed to force people to come together and to work together, and this is going to sound a little tattletale-like, and tell the General Assembly if they're not. So it's the General Assembly saying, we want to be on the same page and pulling together. And uh, that's our means, one of our means to do so. Now, all of these processes that I've mentioned thus far, if you will, are internally focused, Right? how we make sure we're working together, we're agreed in doctrine, we're agreed that we're following our standards, we're holding people accountable in discipline to the standards that we said we would. All that is kind of like us checking on us. Uh, That's not grammatically correct, but you get me. Um, There is something else called the IRC, and the IRC is the Interchurch Relations Committee which means we're only a branch of Christ Church, right? True branch, but not the only branch. And so the IRC has been delegated by the General Assembly to advise the General Assembly on who should we be relating to? Who are other people in the world that we should try to work with, associate with, pull in the same harness with? Because we're not the only church. So who should we be working with? And, and, uh, and there can sometimes be controversy over who that is. You know, there are different groups that have different standards. Nobody's exactly like us. And so the level of our association is what the IRC is supposed to be advising us in. 
So the IRC has that, also elected by the General Assembly. Now, many of you who are here will say, uh, okay, maybe I get the big picture. Uh, who keeps it all functioning? Who, who keeps, you know, the presbyteries reporting to the GA? Who makes sure that we have the standards? Who's keeping all these organizations meeting throughout the year and organizing for them to come together? Who's getting the papers and processes back from the committees and agencies? That is the administrative committee. And if you will, it kind of sits at the junction of every process we just described. Okay? The administrative committee is, uh, some people call it plumbing. I don't think that's the best analogy. But uh, the administrative committee is trying to keep all of that functioning. Now, my job, as you heard my biography, is that I'm currently the chief administrator of the AC. And so uh, my job is to try to keep people pulling together, working together, keeping the agencies functioning in terms of how they process information and how authority is processed back and forth in the denomination. Um, now, it's not my job alone. There's one more thing that the General Assembly does to, as it were, inform itself are our committees and agencies, are our uh, various subcommittee processes working as they should? And that is, during this week that we meet, um, usually for just a day or two, there are committees of commissioners that are appointed by the presbyteries. One teaching, one ruling elder, typically, out of the presbyteries, are appointed to these committees of commissioners, and they just meet for a few hours here at General Assembly. And their job is to hear from these boards and committees or their executive officers to hear their reports and say, is everything okay? And uh, there are particular things that these committees and agencies have to report on. Their budgets, including, have to be reported to these committees of commissioners. So that the General Assembly, again, kind of has its ears out, and committees of commissioners are the ears to say, are things going as they should be going in terms of our processes and standards and our mission? Is all that functioning as it should? So we have a lot of checks and balances. And the goal is so that we could do mission, but according to our standards. And, uh, and that's kind of the big picture. Now, just a, a quick... Uh, rundown on, on how we're doing, and I will say more about this tonight. Right now I have to wake my computer back up and uh, give you some of the, the big picture matters, but what's the consequence of the picture? Here we are. I already mentioned we have, working together, almost 600 long-term missionaries in over 100 nations with a 1,000 national partners. That is, we don't do all the work by ourselves. We work with others, too. So 600 long-term missions. That's, that's the largest Presbyterian mission force in the history of the world. And uh, the Lord has given us that. Post-COVID, COVID was really hard on church planting. So think mission in North America. COVID was really hard on church planting. But 
Where we are now is we are again to where we were pre-COVID, which means we are planting churches at the rate of one every two weeks. So we're planting new churches at the rate of one every two weeks. COVID did slow us down. We're actually trending up. We have more pastors in the pipeline, college, seminary, other seminaries that support the PCA. We have more pastors and pastor families in the pipeline for church planting. Where's M&A? More in the pipeline for M&A than in the history of our denomination. So praise the Lord for courageous uh, pastors, usually young pastors and their families, who are willing to plant churches, and uh, that, is, that is a very good sign. We have more ordinands and candidates for ministry than we've ever had in our history. In fact, sometimes it happens in hard economic times. People go back to school. They begin to pursue what they, what they always want to do because the business isn't going well. We, we have more ordinands and candidates than we ever had, and we grew almost 20% in each category post-COVID. So uh, we, we are one of the older evangelical denominations in terms of our constituents, but we're one of the younger evangelical denominations in terms of our leadership, and we got lots of new leaders coming up, which is a, a wonderful sign. We have 188 campus ministries under uh, RUF. 23 of those are ministering to international students on campuses in the United States. Uh, somebody may know, I, I forget, it's almost 30. I'm forgetting the exact number of international RUF. But the, the kind of summary is this. During the school year, uh, any given week, uh, we have about 20,000 students in Bible studies under RUF, any, any given week during the school year, for which we are exceedingly thankful. Now, again, if we kind of say, aren't we great, uh, that is not the way to go. We say, isn't the Lord great? I mean, we, we start as a tiny little denomination in hugely disadvantaged uh, places and funding, and the Lord has, has blessed us hugely. So uh, that's where we are, and this is how we're organized and how we're trying to make progress. So the rookie seminar, what will happen tonight when we start? We will start hearing reports from these committee of commissioners, right? They will start saying, we listened, and we're reporting back to you. Or we will hear from these committees. We did our work, and this is what we're telling you we did to handle the responsibility that was given to us by the General Assembly. So we will start to listen, and we will start to approve, you know, uh, things that, that have been done. It's always interesting that the first night we actually deal with what could be one of our biggest issues, which is Book of Church Order Amendments. So remember, last year, 50% had to be a majority approved, then two-thirds of the presbyteries, and then it has to be approved again in, the back, in this back coming year, uh, another 50%. But uh, the reason we typically make good progress on Tuesday night with, Book of, with uh, Book of Church Order amendments is they've usually been overwhelmingly approved. All right? I mean, they couldn't have gotten this far if they did. Could, could it change? You know, could there be a big argument? Yes, there could be. But typically, that goes fairly fast because it's already been so overwhelmingly approved. So we'll start with one of the bigger things tonight. You'll think worship service, it's already late, we'll just go to bed. Don't go to bed. <laughs> no, we, have, we got big stuff, right? And one of the big things is we're actually determining what our future standards in terms of the Constitution will be. We'll do that tonight 
as one of our first orders of business. Why? Because there'd be more people on the floor tonight than at any other time for the rest of the week. And among the things that we have to do in order to pass a book of church order amendment is there has to be a supermajority on the floor. It's not just two-thirds vote. It has to be at least a half of the enrollment of the assembly. And when it gets to tomorrow morning, tomorrow afternoon, and guys want coffee and coke and go play golf, and you know, I know none of you, none of you. Um, the, 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 it can be hard to get the numbers to actually pass. So when we got the numbers, uh, we put one of the most important things in front of us right off the bat. So thank you for coming, and uh, hey, thank you for helping your church do Christ's mission. This is a great thing. You can hear more talks like this by subscribing to the Gifts and Graces podcast. You can also hear more content like this by attending a seminar at General Assembly. They are free and open to the public. Find out times and locations by visiting pcaga.org. Thanks for listening to Gifts and Graces.